You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple makers, welcome to the podcast today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, complete in all their powers is in the fight, the spiritual fight, the disciple-making fight, and right now, today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, great. It's so wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us on this podcast today. Uh, we've just started something I want to tell you about. Um, it's a... It's a Substack. Have you ever heard of Substack? Uh, undoubtedly, most of you have. But Substack is simply a page where you can put down your most recent writings. You can subscribe to it, and every time we put something out, which is about weekly, maybe sometimes twice a week, uh, you can get that right to your email. So, just saying, it's a it's a thing out there. We'd love for you to go to Matt Friedman's Substack page and become a subscriber. Also, as you know, this life changing discipleship podcast can be found anywhere you found it already. But uh, tell other people about it if you can. And one of the things we are also all about is to remember. Uh, to have you remember that at Amazon, uh, we sell books, and uh, it's not so much we're selling books as Amazon is, and and uh, the most recent volume is The Doctrine of Good Works that was put out by Baker Academic, and it's making a nice little splash out there. It's a little bit provocative, a little bit interesting, and I think that you will very much enjoy it. So go check out The Doctrine of Good Works, which, by the way, is, I'm, not, I'm not the only author of that one. Uh, that one is uh, Tom McCall, myself, and my son, Caleb. So just want you to know about those things and uh, have you to recognize that there's some uh, there's some other ways to get to the data, so to speak. All right, we're going to cover today five discipleship lessons from the Proverbs. Now, we're trying to work our way through the Bible, and uh, this is just kind of a fun thing to do, and we try to limit ourselves to five. And so we're going to hit these. And the Proverbs, as you well know, are so interesting. Uh, it's like uh, the neural firings of a guy named Solomon. And not always just Solomon, but you know, frequently Solomon. And it's just uh, interesting, fascinating stuff. So five discipleship lessons from the Proverbs. And the first one is going to be kind of obvious that uh, the Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, is very interested in wisdom. Now, remember, that's why he got elevated. One of the reasons God prospered him so much was because he desired that instead of wealth. And God said, well, I'll give you the wealth besides and everything else you'd like. But he was so pleased that Solomon wanted wisdom and wanted discernment. And so you see that, uh, particularly in the, well, you see actually through all the Proverbs, but it really hits it hard in the first several chapters where, uh, uh, you know, Solomon says, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion, let a wise person listen and increase learning. And it just keeps going. You know, later on in the first chapter, wisdom calls out in the street and makes her voice heard in the public squares. There's so much about wisdom here. We we can't even begin to cover it in such a short period of time. Let me say this. 
I think if you would take not only the Proverbs, but all of uh, scriptural understanding together, one of the things you definitely come to the conclusion of, and that's that there has to be a wisdom beyond ourselves. If I'm using Matt Friedman's wisdom and only Matt Friedman's wisdom, that's a problem. I need to use uh, the wisdom that God brings to me through his word, through his voice, through his body. And uh, that would include other people speaking in my lives who are godly and, and Christian and understand scripture. We just have to have this wisdom, but it has to come from outside of us. Uh, we need the mind of Christ. We, we have to have the brain of God if we're going to be all that he wants us to be. And that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I think constant tutelage from the word, spending devotional time in the, in the Bible every day and making sure that uh, the Lord speaks to us strongly and powerfully through his word and making changes based on, listen, it's not wisdom if you don't make change based on those precepts. One thing I was thinking about when I was thinking about wisdom, however, this, um, that uh, the Nuremberg trials, remember when they're bringing the Nazis to justice, uh, the defense argument at one point during the Nuremberg trials was this. Uh, these guys were only following the laws of their own land. How can you get to them now saying, hey, you broke laws when, in fact, they're just following the laws of Germany, the following of the laws of the Nazis, following the dictates of Hitler, who was, you know, and I find that fascinating. And the prosecuting attorney was so frustrated that finally the argument was this. Is there not a law above our laws? Oh, that's beautiful stuff right there. Is there not a law above our laws? So that is there not a wisdom above our wisdom? And if there's not, we're in big trouble, friends. We got to have a wisdom beyond our wisdom. We've got to have something that uh, is so incredibly important to us that we recognize wisdom. That is, we recognize we've got to go outside of ourselves. We've got to go to something beyond ourselves, something that transcends us, something that is sovereign over us. And that would be, of course, the biblical perspective. That would be a relationship with Jesus Christ. It means uh, we are going to have to be people that simply go beyond our own perspective. So I think the first discipleship lesson from the proverb is wisdom. And that wisdom has to come from beyond us. The second one is a it's a it's a common theme. Uh, and I mean a major common theme in scripture. Uh and it's very common uh, right here in the Proverbs, and that's sexuality. Uh, and you get things like this in the second chapter, um, that wisdom is going to be able to rescue you from the wayward woman with flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her ways to the land of the departed spirits. So <laughs> let wisdom save you from that kind of predicament. Uh, but it hits it again uh, in, in chapter six, has an extended passage about uh, the warning against adultery. My son, keep your father's command. Don't reject your mother's teaching. Bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. For this command is like a light. Teaching is a light. All right, that's all good, interesting. But then verse 24 of the sixth chapter. They will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a wayward woman. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. 
for a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? It continues on. Watch out sexually. You must guard yourself. And the best way, one of the most incredible ways to do that is by a life that is dedicated to the wisdom beyond yourself. So having said that, it picks it up again in uh, chapter seven with a, a story and extended coverage of uh, seduction, a story of su seduction. But it, it ends up like this. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. That's what rampant and outside of marriage sexuality can do to you. It will kill you spiritually, but it might kill you physically as well. So all these things just keep coming up in the Proverbs. Guard yourself sexually. And friends, we have to do that today. And we have to do it today because it is so accessible to all of us. I have an interesting conversation with a friend the other day. And they were talking about how so many are just saying, I'm addicted to this. I can't help myself, but pornography again. And the guy was saying, well, what is that thing right there? He says, well, this is a, this is my iPhone. He says, yeah. And where do you see your pornography? He says, well, on my iPhone. He says, well, then if you really want to get rid of it, if you really want to get rid of this porn addiction, you got to get rid of that iPhone. Well, you know, I'm not so sure I hate pornography that much as to actually get rid of the place where I, I, I actually turn on towards it. So the whole point here is, y'all, how bad do we want to get rid of outside of marriage sexuality? Because if we are serious about the Lord, we will take every precaution nexus necessary in order to take care of that deal. So five discipleship lessons from the Proverbs. Number one, wisdom. Get wisdom outside of yourself. Other words, it's from God. It's from his word. It's from his body. Number two, watch out sexually, y'all. Flee sexual immorality. And that is throughout the Proverbs. But then this, I mean, this is big time. I mean, it comes at you over. And uh, this may be the most prevalent thing. This next item, the most prevalent thing in the Proverbs. And that is the tongue. And uh, I just go, there's any number of places I could go to here, but let's just go to chapter 15 of the Proverbs and just stop there. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Hey, y'all, it's true interpersonally. It's true on Facebook. It's true on Twitter. Just come on. Be, be the people of gentle answers. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive. Boy, isn't that what you want to do? to make the knowledge of Jesus attractive to people, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. 15.4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Uh, verse seven, the lips of the wise broadcast knowledge, but not so the heart of fools. Um, going down here, yeah, uh, 15.26, the Lord detests the plans of the one who is evil, but pleasant words are pure. I mean, it just keeps going. The last one here in verse 15 on the tongue, the mind of the righteous person thinks about, thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. 
So the whole understanding here, and I mean, it keeps coming up chapter after chapter after chapter. I have all these coded in my Bible. I have T for tongue next to every one that uh, deals with that topic. And I have more T's than just about anything else. Now, righteousness, sure. Generally, righteousness is talked about, but as a particular topic, the tongue keeps coming up. And y'all, we've got to get a grip of our mouth of our tongue. We've got to make sure that the things that proceed from our mouth, proceed from off of our tongue, are things that delight the Lord and don't cause cause him grief. Because if we don't, we bring him great dishonor. One of the great discipleship lessons for the earnest disciple is simply this, get a hold of your tongue. It needs to be cleansed. It needs to be sanctified. It needs to be purified for the reputation of God himself. Then this, Family keeps coming up. Oh my goodness! I mean, lessons on parenting, lessons on uh, on marriage. Um, I'm looking down here at uh, right now. I'm looking at uh, um, chapter 17, and it says, "A grandchildren are the crown of the elderly, and the pride of children is their fathers." Well, first off, grandchildren, I, you know, every every day I wake up and I have these things I keep bothering God about. I have about seven prayer requests that I just keep coming back, coming back, coming back until they come true. One of these, I will never know if it came true or not. And that is uh, the fourth generation. So I consider my children the first generation. Then there are children, there's children, there's grandchildren, there's great grandchildren, then there's great great-grandchildren. And I pray about four or five things over those four generations. I'll never know if they come true uh, because I'm going to live long enough to see probably not even the great-grandchildren, let alone the great-great-grandchildren. But here it is. Grandchildren are the crown of the elderly and the pride of children is their fathers. I want to live a life that my children can be proud of, but I also want to live a life and pray in such a way that the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, and the great-great-grandchildren, four generations of the Matt and Mary Friedman line, that they will be blessed, they'll be holy, they'll run to the sound of the pain, they'll be great commissioned people. And so we pray that. So that's a family teaching. Another family teaching here in chapter 17. Uh, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. So here it is. A friend loves it all the time, but a brother, Lord, I want to have a family. And I want my children to have families where these brothers, these sisters are uh, there for each other during difficult times, that we'll be a cohesive unit when we need to be for the glory of God. Chapter 17, verse 21, a man fathers a fool to his own sorrow. The father of a fool has no joy. So, Lord, I want my children not to father fools, not to mother fools, but to be men and to be a a lady that knows how to instill wisdom. 1725, a foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. Lord, I want my children uh, to make sure that they're raising children that will bring them honor, not grief, that will bring them Lord Jesus, the kind of things they need to be all the people of God they were ever designed to be. So Lord Jesus, make it so, make it true, make it happen. So th- these are the kinds of things that keep coming up. Now, uh, a couple of, I'm going to another, that's that's chapter 17. In chapter 18, there is one that I found kind of interesting. A, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So uh, I'm praying all the time 
for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my great-great-grandkids, that they will be sanctified, entirely sanctified, every one of them, but also this, they will marry entirely sanctified men and women. So praying that all the time over their lives. Uh, then this is kind of one, my, my uh, I was kid this, but my wife's, one of my wife's favorite Proverbs, and this is, you know, several times in the Proverbs, something like this, 21.9, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. <laughs> okay. So, so it's not my favorite, my, my, my wife's favorite proverb, but let me say this. I look at, at that as a cautionary proverb to say, men, women, you need to be in spiritual and just about every other kind of unity that is possible but particularly spiritual unity when you go into the marriage because you don't want to to differ on major dynamics uh, that make a marriage work and make a family work. And I know all kinds of people that say, yeah, 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 they're, they're Christian. Sure, they're Christian. They go to church. No, 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 no. Y'all, you want people that are in the Lord in a deep and satisfying and profound way. And this whole nagging wife thing or a nagging husband or arguing husband, uh, when those kinds of things come up in the Proverbs, guess what? We aren't preparing well for marriage. We're preparing really well for weddings. I mean, we do weddings better than they've ever done them before in human history. So what? If the wedding's good, but the marriage is not, what has a wedding earned you? What what has a $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 wedding? What does that even matter? If your marriage has a nagging or argumentative wife or husband. So these whole family things. So five discipleship lessons from the Proverbs. Wisdom, get an outside source. Sexuality, beware, flee sexual immorality. Tongue, get a grip of your tongue. It needs to be used to bring honor to the Lord, not dishonor. Family, oh my goodness, y'all. Family is so incredibly important. We've written a book called discipleship in the home. And it's now the new discipleship in the home. Every one of you ought to be reading that, but I think it'll very much help you to raise your family. Fact of the matter is family is huge in the kingdom of God, and we've got to make sure we're raising ours again for his glory and for his kingdom. And then finally, this, the fifth discipleship lesson from the Proverbs, and there are a whole lot more than five, y'all. I'm just giving you a quick sample, is accountability. Years ago, I got the book in my hands right now. Let me let me see when it was even written. It's been so long ago, I've forgotten. Back in uh, back in 1992, Victor Books, a major publishing house back then, uh, printed something uh, called the Accountability Connection. Way out of print now. You can still find it if you wanted to on Amazon. Copies of it, uh, very used copies of that. But nonetheless. <laughs> When I wrote it, someone came up and says, Matt, have you checked out the Proverbs on accountability? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I hadn't even considered it. But I thought, well, let me try to uh, see what Proverbs says. Oh, my goodness. They are everywhere. For instance, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. 12.1. Yeah, is so love correction. You want accountability. You want people in your life to speak into your life for corrective purposes. 1215, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. 
you're going to listen to advice in this day and age, you've got to go seek it. Go seek out advice. 15.5, a fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. So, Lord, I want to listen to advice. I want to seek out correction so that I might change my life to be better for you, Lord Jesus. Uh, 15.12, a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. It just keeps going. Maybe the, the, the greatest and most poetic accountability proverb is this, 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It just continues on, but I'm going to suggest to y'all, everybody needs someone and maybe multiple ones that can come into your office, put their knuckles on your desk and read you the riot act and you will change because they did so. And if we don't have people like that in our lives, we have to seek them out. We have to make them. And uh, I, I think I've already told you this, but I, I was kind of worried that I don't have enough people like that in my life. And so I went on a listening tour not long ago, and I asked some people in my life uh, about, hey, what do I need to hear? I don't need to hear your, man, you're such a great guy. I need to hear your, this is where I think you could improve. So talk to me about this. I just sat down in front of them, and uh, they shared some pretty profound things with me. And I'm going to say to y'all, you need to be hearing. We need to be hearing those profound things, and we need to remedy our lives because of those profound corrective dynamics, but you've got to seek it out, y'all. Uh, one of the things about the Wesleyan revival was they got in groups like that regularly. And the first question they asked was, what sin have you committed since the last time we were together? And the leader always went first. Then you'd go around. They had a whole bunch of other questions you could ask, but I just love the fact that uh, confession one to another was a strong measure of their accountability in those days. All right, y'all, that's a, that's what we got for today. The five discipleship lessons from the Proverbs. We want you to check out the Doctrine of Good Works. You can find that at Amazon. And of course, we also want you to check out the Substack of Matt Friedemann. Go check it out. You can, by the way, you can listen to this podcast on that Substack if you wanted to. It's a great setup. And we think, uh, we think the more that you're involved with us here, perhaps that'll sharpen us up. Maybe, maybe it'll sharpen you up. But the whole point is we want our lives to change because of the discipleship Jesus has going in our lives. It's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listening to the Life Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman. Always, always tell other people about our podcast. Remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.